Hi everybody, I'm Katie. And I'm Rhiannon. And welcome to Haunting Cases. Welcome in, listeners. Why, hello. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Uh, We're back to true crime. How are we feeling about that? Uh, I don't know. Last time we did true crime, it was a little traumatizing. (laughs) Chris, like, I went to therapy. I'm back now. (laughs) Watson convinced me not to give up on you. Yes, I went to the Kai therapy where I sat on the couch with my dog and watched watched something more friendly and got lots of dog cuddles. Well, I don't think today's episode will be that traumatizing. Like, we do have a trigger warning, obviously, but it, it shouldn't be too unbearable. Well, it's good. Yeah. Well, it's good to hear. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's something to look forward to. <laughs> well, as an update from the previous episode, my ADHD has gone nowhere. She's still running hard, trucking along as fast as she might. Because, oh my God, you know those TikTok videos where people are like, oh, I come in here, I leave this here, and then I go pick something else up, and I do that, and I walk away. That was this episode. <laughs> On this episode of ADHD with Katie. I literally came out of my room. It was like midday because I don't wake up early. Midday, come out of my room. I come around the corner. I look at my dishes in my sink. I'm like, those need to be done. I'm going to do the dishes. So I start working on the dishes and I look just to the right of my sink where I place all my cans at. And I'm like, oh, those need to be taken out. So I stop doing the dishes. I grab the cans and I take them out to like the recyclables. I'm like, cool. First load, too, because there was a lot of cans. I'm like, on my way back in, I'll stock up the Dr. Pepper. So I come back in, I grab the Dr. Pepper out of its container. Mind you, there's only like three or four of them left in there because Dr. Pepper before water. I'm Colorado. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, cool. Grab that. Set the empty box back down. Fucking look at my washer and dryer and go, do I have clothes in the washer that need to be finished off? Set the Dr. Pepper down on top of the dryer. Walk over to the washer. Open it up. Woof. Little rank. So I go to pour some soap in it. There's no soap on my dryer. I'm like, huh, not in its normal spot. I'm like, what did I do with the soap? I'm like, I sat there for a moment. I'm like, wait, I'm doing a like deep scrub down on my mop head that's sitting in my shower stall in the bo- uh, bath water that I made for it because I haven't emptied it yet. It's still there. Um, (laughs) come back in, grab the soap, start walking back out, look to my right, and the dishwasher's like half open. I'm like, oh, the dishes need done. Set the soap back down on my desk, go to do the dishes. Start working on the dishes, unloading the dishwasher, and I look to the side of my sink, I see the cans, I'm like, oh, shit, I should really take those out. Take the rest of the cans out, bypass the soap, going out the door. Going out the door, take the cans out, turn around. I'm like, I should restock the Dr. Pepper in my fridge. Pick up the Dr. Pepper. It's empty. I'm like, motherfucker, I've been robbed. My dad stole the Dr. Pepper because he does that occasionally. He'll steal sodas from me. 
I'm like, son of a bitch. So I come back walking in and I'm now upset. I am mad. I'm like, oh, my Dr. Pepper is gone. I'm cursing him. I'm like, his ears had to be burning somewhere else in the city at the time. Come around the corner. I'm like, I'm hungry now. I'm like, I want a sandwich. So I get started making like my vegan meat. I'm like, I get that boiling. I made it like chicken flavored. I'm like, I turn around. I look at the dishes. I'm like, oh shit, dishes still need to be done. Start doing the dishes again. Turn to see the soap bottle sitting on my desk. I'm like, oh shit, I got laundry. So I go walking out to put the laundry soap into my washer and get it started again. Notice the Dr. Pepper and go, I have Dr. Pepper. Grab the Dr. Pepper, set the soap down, go back inside. Notice that there's car wipes on my half fall as you come into my house. Set the Dr. Pepper down, go, wow, I really haven't wiped my car down in a hot minute. Grab the car wipes, go back out into the garage (laughs) and start wiping my car down. About like 20 minutes in, I start smelling chicken. I'm like, why does my garage smell like chicken? What's going on? And then it dawns upon me, you're cooking, idiot. So <laughs> fucking car wipes are in the back seat. I'm running back into the house, bypass the Dr. Pepper, run into the kitchen, start taking care of this because it's a mess now. I had to restart and I made beef. I'm like, okay, get that started going, turn around, finish off the dishes, finally. And I go to my fridge. I'm like, that was a lot of work. That's a lot of stuff. I just need to chill out and have a Dr. Pepper. There's no Dr. Pepper in my fridge. To which, at this point, I'm like, am I going crazy? Am I going crazy? (laughs) Was was I ever even Dr. Pepper in my house? I start walking back out to the garage, and I notice the Dr. Pepper on the ledge. So I take that over to the fridge. I put it in there. I turn around. I make sure that the dishwasher is going. I sit down for a minute. I call my mom and I'm like in a hysterical mode at this point because it's just one thing after another. And she's like, did you get your laundry going? I'm like, son of a bitch. No, I didn't. <laughs> so I go walking back out to do the laundry, come back in. Mind you, food's still going on the stove. Get off the call with her. Come back to my office sit down at my desk and start doing work. And then I'm like, why does it smell like beef in here? Do I have body odor going? I'm like, oh my God, I'm cooking. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, the ADHD been spicy lately. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like it. (laughs) Did anything get done around the house? At least the dishes did. Because the laundry... No, she's not done. <laughs> I told my mom, I'm like, I need to go back to a, like an open floor plan that just lets me run in a circle like a fucking hamster. <laughs> uh, oh, no. Uh, so, yeah, that's been my life for the better part of like a week now. It's just been like that every day. I'm like, why is it like this? <laughs> not to that extreme, though, but it was definitely like that was just one of those days. I'm like, this is not going well. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, I mean, can't say I've had any spicy problems like that lately. <laughs> I can say that uh, I keep meaning to tell a story on the podcast and I keep forgetting, but back in the summer, uh, I <laughs> was actually in a porta potty. And the weird thing is, it was like the middle of a hot day, you know, no breeze. 
and all of a sudden, like, you know, you just feel a little breeze, and it, my, my thoughts immediately went to, like, Kappa, is that you? <laughs> and it, like, <laughs> the, the fuck out, because I was like, what the fuck is in the porta potty? Because, I, actually, I should say, my first thought was, like, is there a fucking snake in the porta potty? Because I've heard stories about weird shit. <laughs> Oh, God. Like snakes and other weird things that get into porta So, actually, I should say my first thought was, oh, my God. But I looked down and I'm like, no, no, there's no snakes around. No snakes. But that, 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 that and I should say my second thought was like, Hoppa, <laughs> is that you? And then I was like, what is this podcast in my brain? <laughs> what is this podcast in my brain? That's right. We have discussed a little bit about porta potties and how people fucking hide in them. And it's just gross. And like, why? Yep. Yup, we'll never look at them the same way again be- between the cryptid that hides out in fucking toilets and, <laughs> and weird shit like that. Dude, like, no. <laughs> to be completely honest, I think my brain's just blocked out Pinky Pinky from existence. <laughs> like, I wasn't even thinking about Pinky Pinky. I, I was just thinking about the Kappa, the Jap- Japanese. Oh, the Kappa? I'm yeah, already thinking the about the, Yeah, well, I mean, Pinky Pinky too is definitely a problem in the bathroom. <laughs> I don't know what your dad's doing in the toilet, but okay. <laughs> oh, Kappa. <laughs> oh, no. Yes, the Kappa. <laughs> that one, too. Oof. Yep, yep. But no, I, I, I don't try to think about Pinky Pinky. That one I definitely try to block out of my brain. I'm like, that one's, like, non-existent in my brain yep, now. that one's just gone. That I see it gone. once in a great while when I'm, like, scrolling through to see what episode we're on, and I'm like, Ugh. And I, like, cringe at it for a moment. <laughs> Yeah, that one will go down in history for sure. Yes, if you haven't listened to these old episodes, listeners, definitely go check them out and you can be traumatized too, just like we are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Episode two with Pinky Pinky, and I can't remember the episode number for the Kappa, but uh, yeah, go go check them out. (laughs) Lots of things to be scared of in the bathroom, apparently. Yes. (laughs) Well, on that note, we've reached our banter goal for today, so... We're going to go ahead and let you guys go into the trigger warnings, and we'll see you here in a moment. While we understand that some individuals listen for the entertainment aspect of true crime, it's important to remember that these are real people with families and friends who may still be suffering from their loss. These stories are not meant to open old wounds or cause further emotional damage to those involved. We remind you to please be respectful, do not dox, or contact those involved with cases. While paranormal occurrences and urban legends may be sources of tourism, please be considerate if you visit one of these locations. Do not engage in trespassing and be sure to ask for permission if you plan on recording. Be aware of your surroundings and travel safely. The cases discussed in this podcast may be disturbing to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. episode we will be discussing cases involving children or teens these are cases that can be very disturbing to some listeners as always listener discretion is advised 
If you or someone you know has a child who has been victimized, please call the proper authorities and look at missingkids.org or call the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children's hotline at 800-843-5678 for more helpful resources. Now, back to the show. Well, welcome back from our trigger warnings. I hope you enjoyed those. But we're going to get started today with something that we haven't seen in a little bit. Some vocab lessons with Katie, a recap. (laughs) So it's been a while since we talked about them. But today we're going to have a case that involves STRs or short tandem repeats, which is a region of DNA molecule that contains short segments of two, uh, sorry, three to seven repeating base pairs, which can offer means to distinguish one individual from another. We're also going to talk a little bit about mitochondrial DNA today, which is present in small structures outside of the nucleus of a cell. This is a form of DNA that is inherited maternally, which is typically found in human hair, and it can be used to individualize a person in some cases, but it's usually because there's some type of nuclear DNA on it, which is like the root hair, and that's more of a individualizing DNA to people. Then there is mention of CODIS in this, which is the Combined DNA Index System, and it's probably one of the more significant investigative tools to arise from DNA programs on computer software. It profiles DNA from offenders, unsolved crime scene evidence, convicted offenders, forensic unknowns, and profiles of missing persons. Now, just as a reminder, CSI effect is strong with these types of things. This is not a search engine. It is not 100% all of the time. You still have to do the hard-handed work, and not everybody's DNA is in here. So, getting started with our case today, this was a request from my mom, because she's just filling my catalog with stuff. Additionally, this is a case that upon moving to Arizona, I heard about, and a lot of people kind of asked questions of what I thought about it. However, I wasn't full forensic student at that time. I was doing mainly criminal justice and then going into like biochemistry. So <laughs> it, it wasn't quite on my radar too much yet, but I definitely had a little close to home experience with this one. So on July 31st of 1960 in Congress, Arizona, a Las Vegas school teacher was making their way through the Arizona desert looking for rocks to decorate their garden when they made a horrifying discovery. The body of a young female child was found in the Sand Wash Creek bed on Alamo Road, just 30 miles from Wickenburg and about a mile west from Highway 93. She was wearing a blue button-down blouse with white stripes running in a vertical pattern. Red shorts, however, some other articles say that they were pink. With adult-sized thong-styled sandals, which had been cut down to fit her feet. 
and her fingers and toenails were painted a bright red with nail polish. She was estimated to be roughly around the max age of six to eight years old, which was most likely determined off of her perfect set of baby teeth that were still intact. Her hair was brown with auburn tints to it. She stood about 42 inches tall or three foot five inches and weighed between 50 to 60 pounds, presumably. This body had also been burned and it was in a bad state of decay. The medical examiner and investigators noted her manner of death as homicide. However, the cause of death has never really been stated. There is a newspaper clipping that mentions how there were no marks of violence or broken bones or puncture wounds, let alone bruising on the body. The rubber sandals she'd been wearing, however, had cut into her feet pretty badly. At the scene of investigation, officers revealed that there were two sets of footprints leading to the location where the body was discovered. One set is believed to belong to a boot-type shoe that were most likely men's based on the size. The other set is believed to possibly be that of the victim's, meaning that she probably walked to the location herself. A pocket knife with a stained blade was also located at the scene not far from the body. It itself was sent to FBI laboratories in Washington at the time to determine if there were particles of blood on the blade and if they could have possibly been hers. However, it's noted in later articles that with the body being in such a bad state of decay, as well as the clothing being in a bad state as well from the fire, this knife could have most likely been used, but it was impossible to determine. A set of automobile tracks were found to have driven off the road, according to the testimony of the Yavapai Sheriff's County captain. They presumed that someone had driven off the road and then turned around in the wash to get back on the main road. It was discovered that two other holes were dug nearby before the individual was successful with creating a shallow grave. Leads on this case were chased from Kingman, Arizona, all the way to Gallup, New Mexico. Officers looked for abandoned cars or possible abandoned trails of people walking through the desert, and each of them led to a dead end. The Yavapai County Sheriff at the time became kind of like frustrated, but they also like formed a theory at this point, too, that this child possibly belonged to a transient family and had died of natural causes and this death was unreported due to the family not having the funds for a funeral or burial however personally i'm like why burn the body then yeah that doesn't make sense at all why the body would be burned then unless it was some sort of accident but with it being like outdoors just the location it seems unlikely this was an accidental like burning situation and the thing is too like even if it was an accident i don't the whole body would have been burned it would have been yeah it doesn't make sense yeah yeah so it doesn't add up yeah and that's kind of what other investigators on scene thought of this with the state of the remains being in such a decomposed like state as well as the burning and the nearby like knife with possible blood on it, they continued to push to solve for the homicide and find the name of this unknown child. Now, 
there was one lead shortly after this theory emerged as there was a report of a family being seen walking in the desert just west of Congress near where the remains were found. According to this report, the individuals were seen on Wednesday and the body was discovered the following Sunday. There were two adults with a baby and three other children. They were all wearing overalls and like cloth caps with peaks. However, I'm like, what is a cloth cap with peak? Because I'm like, is it a baseball cap or is it like a bandana that kind of has like the peaks going off? I'm like, so I'm not really sure what the article meant fully by that. Yeah. So investigators do go on to note that the body had likely been there for about two weeks prior to its discovery. However, persons that claim to be more familiar with the desert noted how the intense heat would likely hasten the decomposition. Now, this family was found and was questioned and later concluded to not be involved with the remains of this little girl. Now, from the start, there had been speculation as to who this little girl could have been. Primarily, it was theorized that the body belonged to that of Sharon Lee Galagos, who was kidnapped on July 21st from Alamogordo, New Mexico. However, Sharon was four years old at the time of her abduction. The body that was found was estimated to be that of an older child. The clothing was also different from what Sharon was wearing at the time of her abduction. However, investigators do discuss that the clothing may have been changed. How long ago was she abducted? Like, was this a recent abduction or is this like years ago she was abducted and now potentially she's turned up here so it's the same year it's july 21st in 1960 sorry i should have said that so it's like 10 days prior to the discovery of these remains oh okay i see okay so additionally dna itself wasn't a tool in forensics yet in fact it wouldn't be reportedly used until 1984 by dr alec jeffries at the university of leicester in U in the United Kingdom. This meant that matching the two victims needed to be done a different way. At the time, it was recorded that footprints were used from the Jane Doe to compare to Sharon's. However, when they were compared, they weren't found to be a match. Although the discovery of this little girl shook close-knit communities and families alike throughout the state, and even outside of Arizona, no one came forward to claim her as their own. Mm. And in similarity to other cases we've discussed with does, such as like the Sumter County does, she became known as Little Miss Nobody by the investigating agency and community. Mm. That's really sad. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, this case went cold and she was laid to rest in Mountain View Cemetery on August 10th of 1960. Her headstone was added presumably sometime in October to November and according to references, it was purchased through a combined effort of the Prescott County residents. The nameplate read Little Miss Nobody, date of birth unknown, date of death unknown. In an inscription from St. Matthew's 
section in the Bible said, blessed are the pure in heart. In August of 1961, over a year later, law enforcement turned to the television industry in efforts to close the case. Law enforcement officers and cameramen marched out to the Sandwash Creek bed to film the actual location of where the body had been found. Running through the Sandwash Creek bed, they went back to where their evidence was kept and they brought forth a couple different pieces of evidence to be shown on TV as well. This included the cut down pair of rubber sandals that she had been wearing. The hope with this was that someone with the slightest fragment of a memory of this place would come forward. However, with similarity to other cases, tips came forward, but none of them actually led to the identity of Little Miss Nobody. In March of 2018, the case was revived with the publishing of the facial reconstruction of Little Miss Nobody from the source that you probably just heard in our trigger warnings, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, or NECMEC. However, other sources do note that the facial reconstruction may have been developed and presented as early as 2015 to 2016. In 2018, a decision to exhume the body was also made and the goal was to obtain a DNA sample. This was also funded by NECMEC. The Sheriff's Office then worked with the University of Northern Texas Center for Human Identification to generate a facial reconstruction image and DNA profile for Little Miss Nobody. However, they were only able to develop a mitochondrial DNA profile, which was later built into a STR profile and uploaded to CODIS. Unfortunately, the profile did not match anyone, and in 2018, NamUs worked to identify a possible sibling with a reference DNA swab. However, these results were again inconclusive. In 2021, the Yavapai County Sheriff's Office continued the pursuit of identifying Little Miss Nobody and partnered with Ortham Labs. Now, Ortham Labs is a laboratory that uses genome sequencing, which looks for hundreds or thousands of markers, which can help to identify someone's family tree. Dr. Kristen Middleman with Ortham says that their only customers right now are law enforcement and that the Texas-based company has been able to identify decomposed bodies found in sewage as well as other horrific states and unknown remains dating back as far as 1881 just by working with the bones. Wow. That's yeah. That's pretty impressive. Oh, yeah. I'm like, that is freaking cool. So, in December of 2021, Ortham took custody of the skeletal remains of Little Miss Nobody and built a genealogical profile for her, or should I say, Sharon Lee Gallegos. They used a program called Kin SNP Rapid Familial Testing, which from what I could like figure out basically does like a real deep in-depth of making sure that this person matches to who they are. Mm, okay. And this was done with a biological relationship swab that was taken from Roberto Juan Gallegos, Sharon's brother. The data was found and returned to authorities in February of 2022. 
And on March 15th of 2022, a press conference statement was made and posted to Sharon's Doe Network page, announcing the identification after a long 62 years. Wow. So, on July 21st of 1960, just before 3 p.m., Sharon was playing in the yard of her grandmother's home in Alamogordo, New Mexico with two other children. One of them was her cousin, age five, and another was an individual who was visiting the family, age 11. When a dark green 1951 or 1952 Plymouth or Dodge sedan pulled up to the home. One of these children mentions how they had seen the car pull up and there were already two other children inside the vehicle. One of the kids was described as a freckle-faced boy, but there is no other identifying features to be noted. There's also no identifying marks or persons to be noted with the secondary child. They also note that when this green car pulled up, it was driven by a pale white man who one said had a mustache and brown hair. Then a woman who had been in the passenger seat beckoned Sharon over, stating, if you come with us, we'll buy you new clothes and candy. Sharon, notably a feisty young girl by her surviving family members, stated she did not want to go. And that's when the woman got out of the car and grabbed Sharon by her elbow and pulled her back inside the vehicle. And then they sped away. Immediately, the children who had witnessed the abduction went to get help, and the, <clears throat> and the authorities were notified. Now, this differentiates depending on the report that you read. Some state that it was two other siblings that were inside, and one sibling notes how all she wanted to do was get in the car and just fly down the street after these people, and then she remembers she doesn't know how to drive. And she went to go tell her aunt, who ended up having to run down the street to a different location because they didn't have a phone. Oh, my gosh. So, depending on which report you read, it differentiates between these two stories. The other story is that one of the children that was playing outside, presumably the 11-year-old, actually went to go tell her mom. Mm. Officers in Alamogordo set up roadblocks across the southern part of New Mexico. However, Sharon was already gone, and she was not located. In the days before the abduction, about four to five days to be more specific, a woman had started showing up around town, and she stated that... <clears throat> and she started taking interest with Sharon and her mother, Lupe Gallegos. She asked about Lupe and Sharon after church one day and stayed around like an abnormally long time asking about them. Uh. And then there was a, another instance when this woman showed up at their neighbor's house asking them again about Lupe and Sharon, stating that she wanted to offer Miss Gallegos a job. This neighbor pointed out the house that they were residing in and the woman left. In addition to just, like, 
requesting where they had lived. She had also asked if the Gallegos had a daughter or if she had a lot of children. She also asked about the layout of the home and whether if it was a single home or a divided, multi-styled apartment home. That seems like that was already showing a lot of red flags if she's asking for this detailed of information about somebody. Yeah, that's kind of what that was going off with me, too. I'm like, um, why are you asking so much? The thing that really made the red flag go up for me is why are you asking about their, like, style of home? Yeah, because already, I mean, in this, granted, this was a while back when I think people were a little bit more trusting. So, I mean, I nowadays I would never be like, oh, you want to hire my neighbor? I'm going to tell you where they live. Like, I wouldn't do that nowadays. But I guess back then, if you're more trusting, you could see that as being okay. But yeah, the whole, like, home layout thing, like, there's no reason for that. Even if you want to hire somebody or be friends with somebody, there's no reason to be asking what their home layout is. Like, that just doesn't make sense. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, unless you're planning to wait, possibly, until somebody's home alone or possibly, like, the children are home alone. To go and try to round one, if not all of them up. Like, that's really, really weird to be asking. Yeah. So, this neighbor made mention that the woman appeared to be in her 30s and was in larger size with dirty blonde hair. Lupe said that she believed that this woman had tried to make previous attempts to approach Sharon who'd often go to the store just around the corner alone, but in recent days, she was afraid to go by herself. Additionally, the 11-year-old who was with Sharon at the time of her disappearance stated that Sharon was afraid when she saw the green car and asked to be picked up and carried as the vehicle passed. Mm, That poor kid. Mm Mm-hmm. During the press conference, it was asked by True Crime Arizona podcast if there was any other DNA that may have been found on Sharon's body that was not her own. To which Lieutenant Boltz, who from what I could understand was leading the press conference and possibly had a good foot in the investigation process as well, mentioned how law enforcement in 1960 weren't fully aware of the proper evidence storage procedures, let alone the fact that DNA was even going to be a thing. So the evidence that was stored was stored in a vault at the courthouse where the old sheriff's office used to be. The problem with this vault is that it did not have proper circulation. It was dark and it was a great place for starting mold. So, when the evidence was going to be re-examined in 1977, everything was covered in mold. Oh, no. Which led to the painful decision to discard the now-contaminated evidence. Hmm. Lupe, unfortunately, did pass away in 2011 at the age of 87, but another family member was able to be a part of the press conference when the announcement was made. Ray Chavez Gallegos is the nephew of Sharon. He gave a very heartfelt thank you to everyone involved in this case who helped it get to where it is today, stating, thank you for what you've done for us. 
Thank you for keeping my aunt safe and never forgetting her. The family does intend to give Sharon a proper headstone with her name and date of birth on it. However, it's been undecided if they're going to move her back to New Mexico or leave her to rest in the community that embraced her in death. So while this case has come leaps and bounds in the last two years, Sharon's homicide is still unsolved and authorities are still looking for answers. So in good nature, if you or anyone you know has any information regarding the abduction and murder of Sharon Lee Gallegos, please contact the Yavapai County Sheriff's Office at 928-771-3260. That number again is 928-771-3260. Or you can email them at web.sheriff at yavapaiaz.gov. And Yavapai is spelt Y-A-V-A-P-A-I. Once again, the email is web.sheriff at yavapaiaz.gov. And Yavapai is spelt Y-A-V-A-P-A-I. It's a short case, but it's one that has definitely, it's been through it. And I think her family deserves justice, not to mention that if this individual that did take her was 30 at the time, that means that there's still a chance that they are alive to this day. Yeah. I, I don't understand why somebody would abduct a child just to murder them. I mean, I've heard of stories before of people who were desperate because maybe they lost their own child and they just for whatever reason, you know, felt that was the way to get some sort of family back. But to abduct a child and then just turn around and kill them, I don't know. I mean, obviously they were not in their right mind to do that in the first place, but I just don't even see, like, what the motive would be to do something like that. Yeah. And even to add on to that, like, there were other children in the vehicle as well. So it's... It's even a question in authorities' minds of what happened to these two other children. And specifically, from what I read, law enforcement is inquiring about the freckle-faced boy because they don't know if he's alive or not or he's safe. Yeah. Specifically. And there's just no details regarding the other child, so we don't know. Wow. Yeah, that's... That's definitely strange that there's multiple children in the car. That, I don't know, that almost seems to me like, was this a child trafficking situation where, heaven forbid, they were trying to sex traffic these children or do some other purpose of trafficking trafficking these children for some other purpose. But again, it comes back to, I don't know why then they would end up murdering Sharon, unless something went terribly awry and they're just trying to cover evidence of something, but I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> That's definitely a, a dark case, and it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of leads on even trying to figure out what happened to those other two children. Unfortunately, no. But there, 
from what I saw on the press conference, because that was like an hour long, um, there is evidence that is being withheld right now. So while this case may seem short at this time, I hope that there will be an update someday to this because even I think Kristen Middleman said that she we're living in a time that it's not if we get somebody on DNA, it's when we do. Mm. It's not if anymore, it's when, which I'm like, I really hope that's the case because, oh my God, this family deserves so much just justice for what they've gone through. And even Sharon's nephew, Ray had made mention how this really enveloped his life. He became known as part of the family that the little girl disappeared from 60 years wow. ago growing oh up. Oh my gosh. And he wrote papers on his aunt. He made sure that her memory did not go unheard. Yeah, I mean, that's the kind of thing that reverberates, I'm sure, throughout generations of a family i mean mm -hmm. that's the kind of trauma that you don't just recover from with the next generation i mean i'm sure that's definitely something that follows you as being part of that family so yeah i i definitely agree that they really need justice for this and they really need to find out what happened and who did this and and bring justice to this terrible terrible thing that has happened to them and their family that no one deserves to go through that poor poor little girl absolutely and middleman also made the mention that right now it's okay to say that we've got a dna dead end and we can't solve the case and that shouldn't be there are new tools in the toolbox and we should demand to use them until we can get those answers and those cases solved. Being able to change someone's life and give them closure is so meaningful and getting justice for someone is amazing, but being able to do that for everyone will change the world. To which I couldn't agree more. And it really like put that like instilling back in my brain of like why we do this. Yeah. It's not to the same level that most investigators do, but it's in hopes that somebody out there knows something and we're able to reach them. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And I know that's why, especially with this podcast, that was something we discussed early on, is really trying to focus on a lot of these unsolved cases because there's a chance that someone out there knows something and if we can just get the word out to that person these cases could get solved and justice could be brought and these families could have some sort of closure to what happened as traumatizing as it has been and will continue to be but yeah. definitely important work to be done and and we cannot forget about little girls like this who have gone through things like this. Yeah, absolutely. And I do hope that the other two kids are okay. I really do. Yeah, I hope, I hope that so. They have at least some information on this if they are still alive. Um, I think that's what authorities are hoping for right now, too, is just to have 
some miracle that one of these other kids that might have been with one of these people or might have been in a similar similar situation to being abducted by these people or may have got away or may have like moved back from them when they went to grab and it was just enough for them not to be taken to come forward yeah. and talk about the circumstance and give more information possibly leading to identifying the individuals who are involved with this case for sure yeah that's that's really hard i feel like when dealing with children because i mean in any case i feel like it's a low likelihood of a victim getting away and surviving in an encounter like that and being able to tell the tale of what happened and give that information but especially when dealing with children or minors i i nowadays i hope it's better and unfortunately it's things like this that we now teach our children you know about stranger danger and about Mm -hmm. don't trust people you don't know don't get into cars with people you don't know but i mean even in this situation i mean she very obviously did not trust this person did not want to go with them and still got scooped up just because you know she was small and so a child that small cannot defend themselves physically from an adult that wants to grab them and carry them away unless there is like an adult another adult there or somebody else to defend them i mean they just mm-hmm. do not have the physical capabilities to stand up to an adult if it really comes down to it absolutely and, and so, even if there is another adult there there's a guy in the car too like that's there's true. no yeah, saying there's, what's yeah. going to happen and how that's going to go down not to say that like another adult wouldn't fight for a child but it's that gamble of are you going to be able to get them back or is it still going to happen anyway and now you might be incapacitated from going and getting help oh definitely yeah and i mean who's to say that they didn't have a a firearm in the car or a knife or something where if you know even if there was another adult around and they tried to stop it they could have been severely injured or even killed in the process of trying to save the child this definitely seems like a situation with the questions they were asking and the way that these people were kind of scoping it out it definitely seems like a situation where they were trying to take advantage of a time when there was no adults around to protect these children and just honestly go after what was for a criminal the easiest situation in terms of getting access to a child and being able to just grab them and run and not face those extra obstacles but yeah that's that's hard i i feel like of course there's still a hope but (laughs) i feel like when dealing with someone who's specifically going after small children it's I feel like less likely that, you know, one of them, unfortunately, was able to get away. But, I mean, they're small, and that's something that they got going for them. You know, maybe that's, they're able to slip away in a small space and get away in a way, in a path that maybe an adult couldn't follow because they're so small. You know, they can kind of crawl under things or go through obstacles that an adult could not easily go through. So that's not to say there is not a chance that a child could definitely get away in a situation like that, but... Yeah, it's just really horrifying to think about that there's people like that out there that would do such things to small children or it would even go after like kidnapping small children at such a young age where they really cannot protect themselves against an adult who wants to do them harm. Oh yeah, it's horrifying, but 
that is the story of who was once Little Miss Nobody and is now Sharon Lee Gallegos. And I hope that her family gets some closure and some justice. Thank you again for listening to Haunting Cases Podcast. Please make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Haunting Cases Podcast and on Twitter at Haunting Cases. If you have a listener tale, story request, or any questions, email us at hauntingcasespodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to rate us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts from. So, what do you say, listeners? Are you haunted too?